Shabbat Shalom, everyone. I was part of an interfaith gathering last week, and I was standing next to one of my Jewish colleagues. And he said, you know, today, especially with so many different stripes of faith and the way in which rabbis and priests and ministers and others dress, it's hard to tell out there who's part of the Christian faith and who's part of the Jewish faith when there's an interfaith meeting. I said, well, I have a surefire way to tell the difference. I said, what's that? I said, watch me. So I went in front of everyone and I said, isn't this a beautiful day we're having? And of course, all of the people of the different stripes of Christian faith said, it is a glorious day. It is a blessed day. It is a beautiful day. And all the people of Jewish faith said, but what about the pollen? It's causing such allergies. I've been sneezing. I mean, there might be good weather, but this is crazy in my car. I have to wash it every day now. We are a whiny lot, aren't we? We fetch a lot, and we seem to fetch all the time. And I think we often don't know how to behave in a way when we're not whining. And in my estimation, part of the reason why we're struggling as a people, as a movement, is not because of what we're producing, but it is because of the way we're responding to it. One of my jobs as a rabbi is to serve as a pastor, which means people come to my office and they talk about whatever issues or problems that they're working on. A lot of times those are interpersonal problems. And it's not uncommon for a couple to come to me and talk about challenges that are happening in their relationship. A few weeks ago, a couple comes to me, happily married for 22 years, and they're going through a particular rough spot. Challenges at work, challenges with their kids, and the tension at home has been rising. They started talking to me about some of the things going on, and all that they were focused on is each thing the other does that's wrong. Each thing that the other person does that causes upset and causes pain and causes frustration or causes hurt or just causes, most of all, annoyance. And they went on and on and on. And as each person was talking, you could see the defense mechanisms of the partner rising. The hair on the back of their neck was getting more, uh, standing more upright. And eyeballs were rolling so far back they could easily see their brains. And I stopped them for a moment in something that felt very un-Jewish. And I said to them, can you tell me what your partner's doing right? And they paused for a moment, and they knew they had answers, but they had to dig at them. And I said, is your partner providing for you? Yes. Is your partner looking after your children in a way that makes you proud of who your children are? Yes. Were you able to go on vacations this year because of the way that each of you have partnered with each other to work? Yes. Does your partner respect you in their language and not use vulgarities when talking to you or about you? Never. Has either of you ever lifted a hand to each other? Never. And we went on and on, and we had to dig a little bit, but then it got to easy plowing. And I made them write down a list that they had to send to me and not to each other 
of all the positive things that they do for each other and all the things that they're glad that they have the other person for as their spouse as opposed to anyone else in the world. And once they got past that hump and they started focusing on those things, I assure you that their marriage was not happily ever after. It wasn't. This is not a recipe to fix broken marriages or broken relationships. But it gave them tools and a vantage point to get a little bit of perspective. And at the same time as getting some perspective, it gave them what was necessary to focus on the good and to use that as a solid foundation for moving forward. I share this with you today because I was out with some friends just earlier this week, members of this congregation, and doing what I often do in breaking bread and drinking coffee, and they started the conversation by talking about the broken parts of the Jewish world. They started talking about all the things going wrong on campuses with Israel, which for those that haven't heard me about this before know that I think this is a tempest in a teapot and not a serious issue and one that is getting much hype, especially by us, the Jewish people. They started talking about all the problems of intermarriage and other things happening, and I tried to do something that I don't often do in the meeting, and I want to share it with you today. I said, let's focus on some things that are working in the Jewish world in a way that they never have before. Two miracles and one phenomenon. Miracle number one, and I know I've shared this before, but I'm gonna give you a little bit of postscript on it, and that is the miracle of J-Date. J-Date, in my estimation, is a miraculous feature. Every couple that gets married that I perform the wedding for, I invite over to my house for Shabbat dinner. It's part of the process of getting to know them and who they are, and we have multiple meetings, but that purpose is about modeling what Shabbat dinner looks like and how easy it is, and it also gives us a time to build some social capital. And we always do it with other couples getting married, so we have anywhere between four and six couples at the table. And one particular evening, we go around, and everyone's telling their story that I already know to Dory, my wife, who doesn't know their story. And they start going one by one, and they each say, of the six couples that are sitting there, we met on J-Date. And we were astounded. From that point forward, I started keeping track of all the couples that met on J-Date. And more than 70% of the weddings that I do are J-Date weddings, which is incredible. And also, this has nothing to do with me, but much more a result of this gorgeous synagogue that we sit in today and the amazing cater that you're about to celebrate with later. This synagogue does a lot of weddings, which means I perform a lot of weddings. So 70% is not a random number of five or six a year. We're talking anywhere between 25 to 35 in any given year. And over the 15 years I've been a rabbi, you can see the incredible number that that is. And if anything has started to arrest or address the issue of the Pew Report, and the rate of endogamy falling, in my estimation, one of the key contributors is J-Date. So for every single person who talks to you today about the intermarriage rate, my recommendation back to them would be, who do you know that's single, and I'll pay for a membership for them for J-Date. <laughs> now you giggle, but around seven or eight years ago, maybe it was less or more, give me a little latitude on the date, I said this very thought from the Bema on the high holidays in this temple. I said it was a miracle and that anyone in our congregation who was eligible, which meant they had to be over a certain age and they had to be single, to go on J-Date, <laughs> I would pay for their subscription. And unbeknownst to me, unprepared, I got a tidal wave of requests 
from people in this community. And what's interesting was, for almost everyone I got a request from, it wasn't a financial issue. It was a sociological issue. They didn't want to ask their mom or their dad for the money. They didn't have the gumption to go and do it, but they were okay with the idea that the rabbi put them on. <laughs> but something amazing happened this calendar year. This calendar year, we officiated at three weddings from that very service where we announced it in the follow-up phone calls of couples that met on J-Date. One couple was in their late 20s. One couple was in their late 30s. And one couple was in their late 70s, both widow and widower, and found each other on J-Date, all married in one year, and all members, at least one of them, of this temple. And as I performed each of those weddings, and I thought of that miraculous result that is arresting this issue of intermarriage, not totally, but making a dent, I heard my grandmother saying down from the Garden of Eden, there is a lid for every jar. And I heard a saying at the same time, because I believe there is, that we have taken the old version from Fiddler on the Roof of Yenta and married it to modernity, and it's working. And it's something we should be appreciative of, we should recognize, and we should celebrate and encourage. Yesterday, I was uh, on the golf course with three congregants from our shul, all who had kids who went to University of Michigan, and two of the three whose kids left two days earlier to go on birthright. One of the people I'm with says, I spent $40,000 taking my family to Israel, and my daughter is sending me a text and a picture every day saying she loves being Jewish, she loves being Israel, she never said any of this when I took her three years ago, and this trip was free and that was $40,000. Can you explain this to me? These kids were sending pictures for all 18 holes of golf over and over and over again at the Kotel, dancing with soldiers, meeting with indigent people, with Ethiopians, with Russians, and celebrating their heritage. And they felt a sense of connectivity. And each of them wrote about something they're going to do when they come back to campus to make a difference. Not necessarily combating the Palestinian forces on campus, which some face, but not in serious droves, but they wrote about how they're going to come back and connect more with either Hillel or a Jewish studies class or something that's going to stir them. Because all empirical evidence points us directly to the fact that people who go to Israel connect individually and collectively. Their families are transformed and they become leaders. If you don't believe me, look at our two B'nai Mitzvah families. Look at the roles they're about to take on in our synagogue and look at anyone else in our synagogue and what they've done as far as leadership and whether they've been on a trip to Israel too. So the brilliant minds and the philanthropic pocketbooks of the Steinharts and the Bronfmans and the others of this world who enabled it so that people can go for free has started to change the fabric of the Jewish world we're in in a way that kids, college age and a little beyond, are going to Israel where they never were before with other peers and connecting and there are amazing statistics at the amount of relationships that have been formed and created by boys and girls or boys and boys and girls and girls that have met in friendship and in spousal relationships as a result of birthright. Sending our kids to Israel at whatever cost possible is one of the most important things we can do and we are witnessing and tasting the results of it. So how can we complain about what's happening in the Jewish world. The last thing I share with you is a phenomenon. And I challenge any of you today to do this experiment with me. 
Open up the Jewish Week newspaper or the Jewish Standard or go on to Facebook or any other Jewish website like the Times of Israel or anything of that sort. Something with the Zionistic or Israeli flair. And I want you to count in the course of being online for five minutes or perusing for five minutes or flipping through 20 pages how many opportunities you see and advertisements you see with opportunities to do serious Jewish study. A generation ago, there was no serious adult education to the degree there is today. But now, institutes like Hartman and even JTS and HUC and countless others like Skirball and more are hosting a plethora of adult education for different people in the community so that they can study where they are and how they'd like to study. Look at the incredible success of Melton that didn't exist a generation ago. Today, there are more Jews, regardless of their affiliation rate, studying about their tradition and their heritage and taking stake and ownership of who they are religiously than ever before, I argue, in our history. We always had learned Jews and we always had people studying, but more today than ever. And if you want more evidence of that, go into any Jewish bookstore. Today, there are more books being printed on how to be Jewish and how to pray and the choreography of prayer, the choreography of how we should celebrate our religion than ever before because we are having more people who are thirsty for knowledge and understanding. Well, if you look at those three facts, it's hard to think that our movement or our world is in demise. I don't think that. How can I think that when I see three couples from our shul in totally different demographics in one calendar year who are married as a result of this miracle of J-Date? How do I see this when I see kids I just visited a few weeks ago in Ann Arbor who are lovely and amazing kids are inspired and infused with a sense of Yiddishkeit and hope and understanding and appreciation to their connectivity to our homeland of Israel that can cry when they see a soldier and see their responsibility in our community? And how can I feel a sense of despair when we at our synagogue alone are sponsoring speakers and lectures and activities and programs and adult education unparalleled in the region and other synagogues and other organizations are offering the same and subscription rates are climbing and climbing and climbing. There will be people every day of your life who will focus on the bad and the wrong. I've told the story before and I will tell it again about the beautiful mosaic picture of tiles that was put together outside of a synagogue and one tile had come off and everyone focused on that broken tile and no one saw all the pieces that were together and the tapestry that was already there. In a marriage, all of us have the chance to look at things that are broken and to focus on them and say, this doesn't work. But too often, we look at the things in life that are working and we ignore them. We take them for granted and we just move on without appreciation or recognition. It's time for us and especially the Jewish people, I'm not talking only Jews here, I'm talking Jews worldwide, to start appreciating the beauty and the splendor and the miracle in every new day that might bring with it some pollen which might activate a little bit of our allergies, but still has the beauty of sunshine and still brightens our way. Because if we only focus on the pollen, then we have nothing to inspire our future with. 
and a parsha that reminds us of bringing purity and hope to the world. This isn't only something we should do. It's our very responsibility. Let's focus on those miracles. Let's focus on those phenomenons. Let's focus on a glass that isn't half full, but really overflowing. And let that be contagious to inspire all of us for hope, for sunshine, for beauty, and for love.